This is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. Are you interested in learning more about our church? Go to Bethlehem.church forward slash south. Europe. Ooh. European. Europa. The old world. There's probably other words for it, but Ethan uh, recently returned with his wife from Europe. Where did you go in Europe, Ethan? We went to Switzerland and Austria. Drove between the two. Austria. Austria. Mainly uh, Zurich and Vienna. Zurich and Vienna. uh, Between those two, what did you like more? I liked Vienna more. Um, I think Sarah liked Zurich more. Um, Just... Personal. Is there, is there a personality thing there, like Zurich v Vienna? Like I think so, okay. something like that. Yeah, um, they're they're very quiet places. Europe is quiet. Americans are loud, in general, especially on public transit. Mm. Public mm. transit in Europe is dead silent. Mm. No and one's talking to anybody. No one's talking. Someone might be on the phone, but it seems frowned upon. Mm. And then we got. To the bus. Is that that different, though, in America? Like, I feel like every time I'm on a bus or, a, like, a train and everyone's just buried in their phones. Sure. Yeah, that could be the case. I but don't know. We got back on the bus to go to our plane that was bound for America that had Americans on it, and it was ten times as loud oh. as hmm. anything else. Everyone was chatting, well, talking to go. each other, so... But they all just visited, you know, Vienna and Zurich. So they're like, we got to talk about it. Yeah, let me tell you everything. Mm -hmm. Yes. Could be. It's good. Uh, Favorite personal experience while you were there? Personal experience. Um, I would say in general, I really enjoyed being inserted into a culture that wasn't my own. I really liked that. Um, So uh, talking to people that didn't necessarily know my language and uh having to google figure out yeah exactly google translate app is great augmented reality good stuff it's great um uh yeah just rubbing up against another culture and having to struggle through communicating you know getting from a to b which wasn't horribly difficult but um yeah i really enjoyed that what is something that you didn't get to do that you wished you had had a chance to do? Either something that you maybe planned and it didn't happen, or even in the planning stages you were like, yeah, it just won't happen, but we'll do it someday. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think mostly it's just um, nothing about that trip specifically. Um, we did a lot of what we wanted to do, but um, it's kind of awoken a desire to go elsewhere and experience other cultures as well cool that's great nick have you ever been to europe i have not been to europe i've been to uh south asia and i've been to canada and those are my only other oh no and i went to africa oh you just had to remember like another continent forgot about that but no europe sorry africa um if you were to go to europe where would you want to go what would you want to do i uh so I've recently been watching a travel food show, and my favorite episode was in Copenhagen. Oh, Copenhagen looks like a really, really is that cool the city. Phil Rosenthal. Yes, one. Yeah. yes, it is. Somebody feed Phil. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and so I would love to go to Copenhagen. I've always thought it would be cool to visit Prague. Okay. Um, and then 
um, the UK in general. Okay. Broadly the mm-hmm. UK. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, on this particular edition of the podcast, we have Nick here and there isn't a Dave here. I hope that doesn't Dave mean is missing. We're, we're not going to lose. Everyone just turned it off. Listenership. Probably <laughs> they did. They did. Nope. We're uh, here talking with Nick and I pretty much walked up to Nick a little while ago and said, Hey, let's talk about singleness. He's like, which is always something I'm up for talking yes, about. Yes. Yes. He's not our, our token single guy. Uh, this but, is, but, <laughs> but if we are going to ask uh, somebody about singleness, we probably will find a single person, a single, single person, mm. unless we wanted to make it about more than that. So Nick, you're, you're single. Um, are you happy? Is it possible to be happy and single? You know, contrary to our cultural uh, setting that we find ourselves in and even some of the perception uh, in the wider church, yes, it is possible to be happy and single and, uh, in fact, quite fulfilled. And um, so, yes, yes, in general, I am quite a happy single person. That's great. Yeah. How would you contrast, I mean, just dig in a little bit deeper there. Like you said, contrary to perhaps what our culture might say, even, you know, contrary to perhaps what an evangelical mm-hmm. or a church subculture might say. Yeah. It's possible to be single. Contrast some of that for us. Like, like you know, the it's said that you must have this kind of fulfillment this way. But in fact, mm-hmm. you can have fulfillment other ways. Like, just talk about that in general. Yeah. So in the wider culture, I think you don't have to look very hard to find um, relational and specifically sexual fulfillment as the epitome of a fulfilled life. You know, it's everywhere. It's in movies, television, music, uh, billboards. I mean, everywhere. Um, And unless you are experiencing that type of fulfillment and satisfaction, then you are not fulfilled. You're always, you know, lacking something. And um, you may even, um, yeah, just have no chance of finding that, you know, ultimate happiness that everyone's after. So I think that's pretty easy to see in the wider culture. Um, Obviously that we know as Christians that ultimate satisfaction fulfillment is found in Christ. Um, and so that in itself speaks loudly against that cultural message. But even within the church, yeah. um, I think, and you know, I want to preface this by saying I am pro-marriage. Okay, so marriage is a very good gift. It's a good thing. Most people will get married, and that's awesome. That's the way it should be. Um, and... And at the same time, it's possible within the church to think, well, everyone's going to get married. And if you're not married, we just need to help you get married. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because that's, again, I think there might be a little bit of thought of that's where you're going to be happiest. That's where you'll be most fulfilled. you know. And again, marriage is a beautiful, good gift. Um, but the Bible just talks a little bit differently about the gift of singleness than that, I would think, I, I would say. Okay. So... You mentioned the Bible. Um, does that mean we're going to talk about the Bible on this oh, podcast about yeah. singleness? Yep, we're going to talk about the Bible. Okay, so just a little bit, maybe like survey. What does the Bible say about singleness? Like Old Testament, New Testament, mm-hmm. varied covenants. Like what? What? 
What's there about singleness in the Bible? Yeah, so just a really quick, you know, two-minute biblical theology. I'm going to time you. Of, you know, don't need to time me, Wait, please. what's biblical theology, Nick? So biblical theology is the uh, discipline of looking at the Bible and taking a, a subject or a theme or a figure or something like that and tracing it through the Bible to see how it progresses and um, seeing what the Bible... How, how it fulfills through, you know, the storyline ultimately being culminating in the new covenant in Christ. Okay. And you can do that with a v- variety of themes, including marriage and singleness. Um, <clears throat> and so in... Start the, a two-minute oh stopwatch. Timer. 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 He's actually... There it goes. It started. Yeah, Go. okay, great. So it, in the Old Testament... Uh, what we see is this promise that's made to Abraham back in Genesis uh, at the Abrahamic covenant that his offspring will fill the earth uh, as numerous as the sands on the seashore and as uh, numerous as the stars in the sky. And that promise uh, is primarily fulfilled through physical offspring. And so what we see in the old covenant in the law is that um, marriage and childbearing um, is generally seen as a blessing and uh, barrenness and to a certain extent singleness itself is seen as a, a curse, a covenant curse. We see that in various places in the law and even in Isaiah um, and the barrenness of the womb and things like that. Um, so, And then what happens is then we get to the new covenant and the New Testament and Paul, he starts talking about children of the promise, not just physical offspring, but there are children of the promise now, and everyone who is united to Christ now is a child of promise. So what we see is that the primary way now that um, people are brought into this, uh, this line of promise, these, these children of Abraham, is through spiritual offspring, you know? And, and so um, now no longer is marriage and, single, uh, marriage and childbearing necessary for this line of promise to continue. Uh, so it's switched from a covenant curse in the Old Testament and in the Old Covenant to in the New Testament talks about singleness and celibacy very positively as a, a beautiful thing and as a, a legitimate pathway for a, a Christian to live. Um, so marriage is still beautiful and important in the New Covenant and in the New Testament, um, and it certainly has a place in God's purposes, um, but now uh, singleness is too. So, yeah. Yeah. How, how did I do? Uh, oh. A couple seconds, couple seconds to spare. Under the wire. Uh, so, you said that in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant, mm-hmm. singleness, barrenness, kind of, uh, you see themes of curse or at least lack of blessing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in the New Covenant, mm-hmm. not only are the people of God marked out by being part of the this circumcised successive generation of offspring, 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 mm-hmm. but the offspring are according to faith, right. by the promise, mm-hmm. which can include those that are, uh, you know, uh, coming descended from physical birth mm-hmm. or those that are completely outside of any of those lines right. at all. Exactly. God's blessing is not restricted in that way. And certainly we see pieces of his blessing mm-hmm. uh, all over the old covenant as well for those that are not in the line or are outside or unable to have kids or other things mm-hmm. like that. So talk to me a little bit then expand on what you said about the new covenant and singleness. Are there 
big texts in the New Testament that address this and kind of inform just what you just said right there? Yeah. Um, so the one that most people uh, think about right away is 1 Corinthians 7. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul um, talks about marriage and singleness, and he says, I wish that all were as I am. And by that, he means not married. He means single. And then he says, for some, uh, it was given one gift and some were given another gift in 1 Corinthians 7, 5 or 6 or something like that. Uh, And he's talking about the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. And he actually says, I wish that all were as I am, which is a very startling thing (laughs) to hear the Apostle Paul say. Um, so singleness in, for Paul is given very, very high regard and, um, and he, he talks about it as a gift. And what I think is happening is that he's actually just echoing the teachings of Jesus, which we see most clearly in Matthew 19, where Jesus is answering a question about divorce and remarriage and, he gives a very hard answer, and the disciples are like, well, if that's the case, it's better not to get married at all. So, you know, they're taking Jesus' teaching, and they're just like, oh, that's too difficult. It's better just not to get married. Now, you would expect, or a a Jew would expect Jesus to say, no, 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 (laughs) don't go that far. But in fact, he says, not all can receive this saying. In other words, it's just better not to get married, but only to those to whom it is given. So he says that, and then... Two or three verses later, he says, let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So we've got these two bookends, only to those to whom it is given, and let those who are able to receive it receive it. Then in the middle, he talks about, okay, so who is this gift for? And he starts talking about eunuchs, (laughs) which is very strange, but what he means by eunuchs is not necessarily um, someone who you know, has been mutilated or doesn't have their reproductive organs, um, which is what a, a traditional eunuch was, but someone who um, is not able to have kids, celibacy, a celibate person. And he says, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, there are eunuchs who have been made so by man, and there are eunuchs who are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so what he's doing is he's giving these different categories of celibacy. Now, the first two those who've been so by birth and those who've been made so by man, they didn't choose that, right? It's involuntary. Um, they had no choice in their, in their celibate state. And then he says, and then there are those who have chosen celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so those two categories, involuntary and voluntary celibacy and singleness, are sandwiched in between Jesus saying, let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So I think what Jesus is saying is, in other words, whether you chose it or whether you didn't choose it, your singleness can be a gift to you if you will receive it as such, which echoes exactly what the Apostle Paul says when he says, listen, you single people in 1 Corinthians 7, you have so much more time and energy to freedom from the world's cares to devote to the Lord. This is a gift to you. Receive it as a gift So both Jesus and the Apostle Paul talk surprisingly highly of the gift of singleness in the New Testament. Both of whom knew the law very well. Correct. And what the Old Covenant said. Right. So it would seem very surprising that they're talking about it this positively. Yeah. Yeah. 
So for the person who, so uh, you articulated a view on the gift of singleness, mm-hmm. namely, if you have the gift of, if you are single, mm-hmm. you have been granted the gift of singleness. Mm-hmm. If you are married, you've been granted the gift of marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. Later on in the passage in First Corinthians uh, seven, Paul says, in light of the present distress. He would that everybody remain as they are, which is a little bit out of the context from earlier, mm-hmm. right? Because he's talking about, you know, uh, all kinds of things. He's talking about finding, you know, a wife mm-hmm. uh, versus those who are already married, those who are free versus those who are not. That leads some people, mm-hmm. along with some other things around the context, to say, well, no, the gift of singleness is not just whoever is single has the gift, mm-hmm. but no, it's more of a internal existential. Like you are, I mean, what? Like really, really, really content in singleness? Is right, that the, right, right. the way that they would articulate they it? Would, it? They Talk would about articulate that view a little bit. Yeah, almost as like a superpower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know, some people have this ability and contentedness or happiness or whatever in singleness that other people don't have. Right. And therefore, they have the gift of singleness and can remain single, and it's a gift. And everyone else who's single, they don't have it. Right. And your answer is is by connecting First Corinthians seven to Matthew nineteen. Yep, where it's clear that this is not always voluntary, right? But it's involuntary at times, and Jesus still says, "Let him who is able to receive it receive it." Yes, you're saying that no, right? You would side on the side of just anybody who is single has the gift of singleness, and therefore should seek to glorify God in that. State. Yes, that's what I would say. Yeah. Yep, and I think that that's even uh, clear in the way that Paul talks about one gift of one kind and one gift of another. Right. So he just, he has marriage and singleness as the same type of gift. And you don't look at a married person and say, do you have the gift of marriage? Well, yeah, (laughs) they're married, right? Yeah. Um, And so same thing with single people. And the invitation is to receive it as a gift. Right. So if you're single, it might be really hard. You know, and I don't want to downplay that. Um, you might yearn to be married, and that might be your lot in life later on. But what I would say is whether it's temporary or whether it's permanent, whether it's for a season or whether you end up getting married uh, or whether you don't, whether you remain single for life, you can right now receive your singleness as a beautiful gift to be used in service of the Lord. Yeah, amen, amen. And I agree with your your perspective. Your, I mean, I kind of came... Uh, you know, as a younger man with a different mm-hmm. view, you know, more in terms of superpower mm-hmm. and then encountered other views uh, back all the way back in Bible college before you and I knew each other. And then mm-hmm. was more solidified as we got to know each other and was hearing more arguments. Do you think that the evangelical church and speaking broadly mm-hmm. thinks of singleness as a gift in the terms that you've laid out here? Um, I'd say not not broadly, but I think it's kind of changing. Um, Talk about that a little. I, I, I think that most people still view it. Uh, I think, well, first of all, I think most people just haven't thought very deeply about it. Sure. Um, so I think just the general assumption is that you're going to get married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going to. And those who don't, um, you know, it's just oh, poor them. Right, you right. know what I mean? And then, but there are some who are like, nope, I feel called to this. And then in their minds, they're like, oh, well, they must have the gift of singleness. Sure, sure. And, um, but I think that there's more, uh, singleness is just being talked about more in yeah, the church. Yeah. 
just in relation to more issues of sexuality and gender and things that are coming up in the culture. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm really grateful that those conversations are happening. And I think the perception is, you know, slightly changing. Sure. So so you've got guys like, so just to like put a through line of like, uh, you know, different opinions in the church about this. So you've got mm-hmm. Luther, you know, who wrote... I don't remember if it was before or after he married Katie and had a bunch of kids. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, he wrote marriage is the normal state. Mm-hmm. Just react to, the, you know, his articulation of that. Maybe not more recent articulations of it or uh, people that would say uh, almost like uh, it's either expected or mm-hmm. necessary barring something, you know, totally right, right, not right. happening. Yep. Just when Luther says it's the normal state to be married. Mm-hmm. Just what do you think? In general, I think that's true. I think it I think it probably is normal the yeah. normal state for most people to get married and have yeah. kids. Yeah. And I that doesn't to me that doesn't threaten the gift of singleness or as the, a gift as yeah. a gift yeah. Yeah. at all. It's just not going to be the gift that most people are given. Yeah. Which is totally fine. Yeah. Um I mean most people statistically you can just see it will get married and um and, and so that's good. And so I'm like, yes, good. Marriage is good. <laughs> You're probably going to get married. But if you don't, what I want you to understand is no matter how long that happens for whatever season of life, whether it's, you know, I already said this, it's, it's a gift. It's a yeah. gift for you. Right. So yes, normal for marriage for most people. And you don't have to get married. Yeah. Fast forward 500 years. Here we are. American context. Mm-hmm. Uh, so churches that view singles and perhaps even wrap their programs around, especially larger churches, closer to cities, you know, singles ministry, demographically targeted ministry towards mm-hmm. not age range, although age range might correspond to it to some degree, but around relationship status. Yeah. When many churches choose to have like, per, and you know, we've had seasons uh, here at Bethlehem where we've had singles adjacent or even singles ministry targeted young adult ministry. That's not necessarily about, you know, relationship status, but age of life that Mm -hmm. happens to overlap with that. When most churches do that kind of thing, what, what is their aim? Do you think, and maybe most is over when many churches do that kind of thing, what is their aim in, in targeting at singles? Yeah, I think, I think for most churches, it's probably very good hearted um, in that they want them to feel you know, cared for and as a part of the church and like, we see you. Um, so I think that generally there's a good intention. Uh, my perception is that what can often happen though, is that, uh, singles ministries, if they're targeted, this is just my opinion. If they're targeted as such, just singles, this is a ministry for just single people. Um, it doesn't have to be the case, but it can often lend itself to, well, this is just now completely separate from the life of the church. Um, and it has a tendency to just turn into a dating ministry, <laughs> a dating ministry, a right. courting ministry. Yeah. Oh a yeah. Yeah. We don't, ministry. we don't date as Christians. Just stop it. Nah, I'm just kidding. That died a while ago. Yes, bro. it did. Yep. 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 Um, so I think that there, it, it just tends that way. And again, I, I just think that's with a general perception of, oh, you poor single people, we really need to help you get married and then you'll be happy. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and I've, I've seen a couple examples of single ministries, um, that seem to really incorporate them into the life of the church and, and that's beautiful, but 
that's just a danger that I see. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think generally speaking, whenever you think about demographically targeted ministries, Mm -hmm. you know, there can be a tendency towards creating church within church. Right. Here's where you would naturally connect. Let's dump a bit of gas on that. So the fire burns bright, halt the more about singles mm-hmm. ministry. That's yeah. maybe an unfortunate analogy for singles <laughs> ministry. But, you know, let's let's make these natural connections stronger and based around Christ. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. That, that's okay. Right. And I think there's something that especially is spoken about in the New Testament in such a way, especially in places like 1 Corinthians 7, that the community of faith, the local church, is a place where singles find family period Yep. without regard to relationship status, number of children, anything like that. It's a place to incorporate them into the blood bought family of their local church. Mm-hmm. Um, and churches don't always process or operate that way, or perhaps they're uh, so large that they almost have to do church within church mm-hmm. to feel any kind of connection. And I think there's a vision of, um, ministry that flows out of, you know, theologians, you go back to, you go back to Bonhoeffer, you go back, you know, another, another German theologian, um, or other places that articulates the oneness that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ that then transcends any of these natural demographics and adds more texture and more strength to the natural connections that are there, Mm -hmm. um, but goes way beyond them. Almost like the old covenant and the new covenant. Yes. In some way. Yeah. So. so man, this is it's so good. I mean like and even you see it in the New Testament when Paul, you know, he calls Timothy his true child in the faith. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's not just like a ceremonial label. Like that's a real reality in Christ. Right. Or when he says all the time brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. That like means something. <laughs> and so my my just hope and prayer is that the church would act like the blood-bought family that we are and where singles would find true family and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and, you know, spiritual offspring and all of these things in the church. And um, I've experienced it in beautiful ways. There's been um, some families within the churches that I've been at that have kind of adopted me into their family. And I'm just a part of their family. I can go over whenever I want. I do holidays and vacations with them. Their kids are my, you know, nieces and nephews. And um, it's just a beautiful thing to see that. And what that does is it's the it's the body of Christ being the body of Christ. And not only do I get a place where I'm getting familial love and um, they're serving me as part of the family, but I can serve. I can serve them and use my gifts and... Um, love them as a part of the family. So it's not just take, take, take for a single person. It's both given and received service and love as you would in a normal family, right? right? Like your kids, they probably have chores in ways that they have to contribute to the family. That's the same. Depends on the day of the week. Yeah, 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 you, know. yeah. you know, I'm talking about the ideal. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's what I, I would just hope that that type of thing gets more and more common within the body of Christ. Yeah. May it be, Lord, may it be. Nick, thanks so much. You bet. This is great. Mm-hmm.